Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Ava Benasaki and August Benaz. Um, let's start by going into it a little bit about yourselves. Just give me a little bit of a background, who you are, uh, just so people know who are listening. Fantastic. Go ahead, August. I always put you on the spot first. For sure. Another problem. Yeah, my, my background is here actually from Vancouver. Uh, started in real estate 16 years ago as a licensed agent. Um, I wasn't really good at being an agent, but I was good at finding deals. So I started doing small fix and flips. Eventually started my own general contracting company, uh, built single family homes, uh, scaled up eventually to do multifamily syndicated projects. And um, just over two years ago, uh, joined forces with Ava. Um, and uh, we started CPI Capital, which is a private equity real estate firm that uh, partners with Canadian LPs to acquire U.S. multifamily uh, properties. Right on. And a little bit about my background. I've yeah. been in real estate for about a decade, um, and I helped many, many real estate investors uh, try to figure out where to invest in Canada here. Um, and August and I, when we came together about two years ago, we realized a lot of pain points that existed for Canadian investors, um, with the median home prices being, you know, 1 million to 1.3 million in the greater cities here in Canada. Um, it's very difficult to scale as an active investor. There's the rigid mortgage laws. Um, and so forth. So our, our company was kind of formed because we've seen a problem that existed for investors and we really wanted to find a solution to that problem. So when we came together and joined forces about two years ago, um, we came across this beautiful uh, business model across borders called real estate syndication, what we like to call real estate private equity. Um, and that's that from there we've built our company and we for can get sure. into that for sure yeah and, and it, it, it all goes down to the rental yields that exist in the u.s a lot of times the question is asked i'm sure you, you you're in this space and you're a leader in this space um uh, glenn so i'm sure the question is always asked hey why don't you just buy in our backyard you all know, the time all the time <laughs> in the u.s and deal with cross-border taxations and compliance issues and deal with irs and you know so on and so forth and um uh, and, and the answer is because of the rental yields. The rental yields are so high in the U.S. is, is a very business friendly country. In particular states are even more business friendly. But the opportunities that exist in the U.S., even with all the uh, cumbersome uh, uh, processes that needs to be taken place as far as investing cross borders and what have you, still makes a lot more sense investing in the U.S., particularly when it comes to cash flowing assets. Uh, so it was definitely a no brainer. Let's just move. put it this way. When we both left our careers, and yeah. and completely left our careers to build this company to help Canadians um, and bring them diamonds in the rough. It was just a no brainer for us. So um, when two people leave their careers and, and start a journey together, that means that it's really something special. So definitely. So you mentioned the rental yields, um, you know, you know, I think a lot of the rental yields, at least the way I look at it, it comes from the more expensive markets, right? It gets as the the price gets up, the it gets compressed because usually the the rent doesn't keep up. Uh, for sure, yeah, that that is definitely a, a factor. Is uh, you know, when when property values go up, the rental yields drop, the cap rates drop. That's that's true. But what what you know, that you need two main components within within real estate investing to make it a, a you know the most profitable investment possible. You need cash flow and appreciation. And unfortunately, here in, in in the larger cities in Canada, you have appreciation is 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 oh, mostly yeah. 
a speculation, but cash flow is non-existent. You're actually in negative cash flow in most cases. What we noticed in the states, particularly in the Sunbelt states, where there is a interstate migration, in-migration taking place, is that the rental yields are high and, and the appreciation is there because there is a, a population growth, job growth. Um, and, uh, you know, on, in a conventional mortgage, 70-30 uh, LTV, from the rents collected, you can pay your mortgage payment, taxes and fees, third-party property manager, and still be left over with a surplus to pay investors. So it makes sense to syndicate deals. If you compare the same thing with, with a multifamily project here in Vancouver or Toronto, you put down 30%, uh, you most probably won't even have enough uh, money left over to pay for uh, your mortgage payment, let alone all the other bonuses that comes with US, US products. So that was that was the main main point what we realized and yeah, yeah you get cash flow and appreciation so that's like the that's amazing what investors want to see so that's what's exciting about the US yeah so um your journey you went from Canadian down to building this private equity firm in uh, I guess it's based in the US but also probably based in Canada what are the steps to do this uh, how are you structured I assume there's a Canadian corp and a US corp maybe just go over it a little bit for us. Absolutely. I mean, when we first started out and trying to get, uh, you know, more information, obviously, with platforms like yours, where you're creating a lot of content and helping Canadians for the option to want to invest in the US. But what we realize is there isn't a lot of content that exists out there when it comes to Canadians investing in the US. And in particular, when it comes to raising capital compliance item that 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 is that surrounds that the accounting and what have you. So we spend a, a good six months educating ourselves yeah. when it comes to compliance, raising capital in Canada, raising capital in the US, the, stru the, the structure, the tax efficient structures that needed to put, be put together to allow Canadian investors to invest, uh, you know, in, into a US um, uh, investment 100% passively, and, and it still be tax efficient. So it was a lot of education. And what we realize is, um, since we don't have a we have a background in real estate, but we don't have a background in investing in the US. So it's important for us to attempt to become thought leaders in this space and uh, we, you know we've begun that by starting our own youtube show speaking on other people's youtube shows and podcast um, we are very active on linkedin creating a lot of content all the time uh, meetup groups across canada so becoming thought leaders creating a lot of content creating a lot of connections educating ourselves as much as we can and then to to transfer that education to uh, you know people around us if it's our investors if it's others trying to learn so that was becoming the thought leaders in the space and then to be able to build a, a real estate private equity firm, which is pretty sophisticated um, venture to go uh, down on. And, um, and, and that's kind of the, the start of it. Yeah. And I was going to mention people don't know what they don't know. Right. So this concept, when you think of real estate investing, you usually think of being an active investor. Um, so when we started, you know, there's a very fine line that exists between being an active and a passive investor. So. When we started getting out there, Glenn, and speaking on different podcasts and, and really putting content out there, there's a lot of people that were reaching out, sophisticated people, um, and saying, hey, I didn't realize this concept of passively investing in real estate, a tangible asset, but I just show up and write a check and sit back and build wealth passively through investing in real estate. So it's kind of an exciting concept that a lot of people are really unaware of. So we've kind of made it our mission to get the word out by speaking on po podcasts like this yeah, and, yeah. and of course news publications and stuff but it's really exciting because what we've noticed is we're able to help a lot of people um kind of help the masses build wealth passively this kind of this new concept that people are learning about so 
Yeah, so you're doing a syndication. So there's a lot of different types of syndication. I'm guessing what that was some of the compliance to figure out what worked best for Canadians to be able to invest in that. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so I mean, there's, there's the security, the security regulations in Canada. Uh, you know, compared to the U.S., every province has its own uh, yeah. uh, securities commission. So, depending on what province you're raising capital, so the view of the government is is that hey, if you want to, uh, if you have a business idea and you want to raise capital for your business idea, you have to go through a an IPO, initial public offering, and and be publicly traded. Uh, but that, that that process is very costly and oh, cumbersome. Yeah. So, so the government says, okay. That's too, too, too costly for you. I'll allow you to use these certain exemptions to raise capital. And uh, you know, some of them are uh, the accredited investor exemption, the friends and family exemption, the uh, minimum $150,000 exemption, the offering memorandum exemption. Um, and when we first started out, as Ava mentioned, the idea was to democratize real estate investing and let everyday people be able to invest in in real estate, but what we realized that the system is actually built in a way to make it difficult for the everyday person to invest. So, yeah. um, uh, you know, and, and, and so, for example, the accredited investor exemption is the exemption we use. So someone has to make two, minimum 200K a year uh, or jointly with their spouse make 300K a year, um, uh, you know, to, to be an accredited investor. The other option is they have to have a million dollars of um, uh, financial assets is liquid assets like stocks and bonds or $5 million in total assets net net of any mortgages. So that's how you become a, a accredited investor. And that kind of, you know, uh, takes out a lot of it. There's a, a lot of people. Least, out. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. is, is between a million and 2 million accredited investors in Canada, depending what data you look at in the US, there is 13.5 million accredited investors. So it definitely gets a lot of people um, uh, out of the process, but it's as issuers as real estate investors, you know, we, we would love to let anyone invest with us as long as they can meet the minimum uh, investment requirement for any particular investment we have. And in most cases, either $25,000 or $50,000 minimum. But uh, the regulation is put into place. And that comes out of because, you know, the government doesn't want someone who maybe not be very sophisticated with real estate investing or investing in general, investing in a product that they're unsure of and then losing their money. And they're going to be the ones receiving calls and, and the complaints. So, they, they see it as, hey, if someone, uh, you know, has been has made astute enough investments that they're a accredited investor, they can bear the, the losses uh, of, uh, you know, of the risk that exists with investing. But, uh, you know, I, I made a post on LinkedIn and there was a young fellow who a younger fellow who reached out to me and he said, hey, if I can't invest like accredited investors, how do I become an accredited investor? If, I, if, I, if, if, if those types of investments are not available for me, how do I build wealth and how do I, you know, get to that uh, financial uh, level to be able to invest? So it was a very interesting comment and we had a great conversation. But yeah, that's, that's as far as the compliance that it goes and then it gets more sophisticated when it comes to Canadian LPs investing in the U.S. and what have you. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's another question. So you use a Canadian LP in order to for your top of your pyramid. Is that how you do it? And then... In the states, do you what kind of do you use a C corp an LP? What what kind of stuff do you use to to hold all this stuff? We also use a a, a fund of fund structure, so Canadians invest in our single purpose vehicle here in Canada, uh, and then we create a single purpose entity in the U.S. The Canadian fund invests into the U.S. fund as an LP, so it's okay. a fund of fund structure. Uh, and then if I have U.S. Uh, uh, investors who are looking to invest, they invest directly into the U.S. Um, uh, single purpose vehicle. So they're direct LPs into the U.S. investment. 
Makes sense. Sounds a little complicated. You could get your <laughs> get an accountant working on that. But yeah, <laughs> it gets complicated when when the U.S. Uh, entity uh, uh, you know uh, creates the K ones for the investors, but now uh, CRA doesn't recognize K ones, so that that K one has to be converted into T fifty thirteen, and then individuals yeah. T fifty thirteen for each investor. Yeah, so it sounds complicated for what we've done, but for a limited partner, a Canadian investor, we've made it really streamlined for them, so they can <laughs> literally point. show up. And, and not have to worry about all the complications in the background and everything's tax efficient, right? So they're relieved from double taxation um, and it's very, very passive. I think, I think, yeah, I think that one of our top concerns with, with investors reaching out to us who haven't invested uh, in the U.S. before is a concern about double taxation and having to deal with IRS. But we've, we've had a strong accounting teams that we put into place that to assist our investors. And, this, and the second biggest complaint is yeah. the returns. Uh, the returns are so high that a lot of investors actually say, hey, this sounds too good to be true. Yeah, and an another thing for people listening is there's there's a tax treaty that exists between Canada and the U.S. Um, so that's why we can make, you know, relieve them with a foreign tax credit from double taxation um, if everything's set up accordingly. <laughs> I always like to throw that out there for a little so, education. You mentioned some rates, and I have worked with some syndicators before in the past. I... Tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that there is like a smaller rate that you get as like a cash flow every month or every quarter. And then the 20% is the annualized across the whatever five year or three year or whatever seven year project you're doing. Am I yeah, right yeah. Page there? <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, we're purchasing these apartment communities, right? So from the rents we collect, um, we're able to pay all of our expenses, mortgage, taxes, a third party property manager, yeah. still have enough surplus left over to give our investors a cash flow on their investment distributed monthly. Um, so that's the power of that. And then when we, we have a, a certain business plan that we execute, it's very black and white business model. We go in and we, we, we do a value add, a kind of a lipstick renovation to the interior and exterior, uh, which force appreciates, appreciates the value of the asset. And then when we sell the asset, Glenn, in a three to five year term, um, with the natural appreciation of a growing market that we bought in, um, our investors then make the money on the back end as well. Cool. And uh, do you try to keep a certain occupancy level in the properties throughout the project or is do you just as people leave you you turn the properties over or do the improvements or what's the game plan there yeah so we, we buy stabilized assets and then when we go in there we renovate the unoccupied units and allow the tenants the option hey you know for for a brand new kind of looking asset would you like to upgrade for let's say 150 dollars um, a month extra and then they decide and we kind of turnover uh, like that. Right now, we uh, purchased our last asset. It was about 90% occupancy, and now it's at about 97% occupancy as we went in there and started making improvements. And, and, and if I may, if you have a follow-up question, I can add a, uh, something here. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll quickly add. Now, this, uh, this concept of value add, uh, which is uh, synonymous with in the real estate investing space, it is always uh, associated with renovations. Value add doesn't always have to be nice. uh, to do with, with any kind of renovation or deep renovation. There could be other ways to, uh, you know, force appreciate the asset or add value. For example, in an asset that we, we purchased in Orlando, Florida, uh, the developer had just finished building it right when COVID hit in 2019. It was a 350 unit apartment building. They had to occupy it and they had to bring the occupancy at least uh, to a decent number before they, they, they were offloading the project. And they had another project, a 350 
uh, no, it was a 550 uh, single family project across the, uh, the highway that they were building yeah. and they needed to uh, basically sell this asset to move to their, to their next project. And they, they, they put their rents at 20% below market and occupied it up to 90%. And that was through COVID. So when we purchased that asset this year, uh, the value add was just to come in and bring the rents back up to market. So there was no renovation needed. So the, this idea of value add is not always. Yeah, and, and I wanted to maybe, I'll, I'll, I'd like to just quickly explain the power of, of value add in a multifamily asset. Yeah. Um, what happens is when it's kind of, it's very different from single family. The value of a single family home is, is created by the comparables that are in the surrounding area. Now with multifamily, um, it's all about the income that, that the property is making. So when you purchase a multifamily, your sole mission is to increase the net operating income because what that does when you divide it by the cap rate is that's how you create the value. So when you go into these multifamily apartment communities and you increase the, the rents, right? So you yep, go yep. and do uh, improvements, increase the rents, it increases the net operating income. $150 a unit on a 200 unit place is gonna increase that net operating income, which equals millions of dollars in value creation, which is why these multifamilies are wealth building machines. When people actually look at the numbers, it's really, really incredible of, of how people build wealth through yes. these multifamily True. assets. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Um, and yeah, it just depending uh, for people who don't understand this at all, it's whatever the market cap rate is based on the, the class of the property and the, the neighborhood. And you just literally with you by moving the rents up, like just like Ava said, right to the bottom line, just by um, decreasing expenses, increasing rents, right to the bottom line, apply it to the cap rate, you can create hundreds of thousands of dollars really, really quick. Yeah, it's really, really powerful. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned whenever you were turning the property over that you, you, do you give the tenants the option to take it as is or to have it renovated and then 150 more? Did I hear that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We give the current tenants an option to move into another unit. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. oh, so you move yeah, them around. Exactly, because we're all about, you know, it's a community, right? We're making the community a better place for people to live. We're a very tight-knit community. So we go to people living there and give them the option if they want to have a newer unit for a premium rent increase. And, and also keep in mind, we, we, we invest in mostly the Sunbelt state, red states that uh, they're, they're, they, have, they don't have rent control. They have very landlord-friendly laws. It but is, yes. even though when, when we explain this to our, our investors and our partners, we're not there to... Uh, you know, we have, we have a brand, we have a name. If you if, if you own a 350 unit uh, apartment building, uh, you know, the brand is very important. There's Google reviews. We can't go in there and just, you know, be malicious and in increase rents on everyone. Oh, yes. You always give the option, have a strategy in place, even though the laws are, you know, in, in, in your favor, you're not there to uh, be a, a shoddy yeah, uh, landlord. Yeah, of course. <laughs> oh. No, whenever I'm looking at the, the landlord laws that you're mentioning, what, what's important to me is how long it takes to do an eviction if someone isn't up doing, doing their part of the contract. If we have to make a, a move, that's what's really important to me is that I can make that move, which I, have, I was a previous investor in Ontario and it was a difficult situation. Oh. <laughs> you take, you know, back then it was three months. I'm, I'm not active in Ontario anymore, but I know I'm pretty sure it's longer than that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely difficult here in Canada with the laws that exist. If you're going to do this, uh, you're going to build your own private equity company. Um, are there some steps? What should people do if somebody wanted to try to do this themselves? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean, it's it, you, you have to kind of figure out, you, you know, look, look inward and see what are your skills and uh, what are your knowledge and experiences. Obviously, educating yourself is the most important part. Uh, but uh, private equity is, is a relationship business as well. Your investors are uh, more important than than deals. So it's important to have a, that uh, that network of investors and, and and nurture that relationship at times at, at all times. Um, and to to basically uh, you know be as astute uh, fund manager because uh, you know a, a bad deal you know people survive through bad deals and hard times but a bad deal could could equal you know making the making the wrong decision or being too eager could 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 uh, you know ruin a, a name for a long time and bad relationship with investors so um, that would be my recommendation yeah definitely and whenever you're building anything from the ground up you really look 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 at uh, for someone who's done it before kind of find a mentor ask questions don't try to re reinvent the wheel that's the number one thing advice that i would i would give there's always never try to reinvent the wheel and put systems in place and and uh just believe in yourself and keep on going <laughs> awesome if people wanted to uh track you down and get a hold of you see what your current offerings are at the time and or whatever i'll pick your brain how would they get a hold of you yeah, of course, we're really active on LinkedIn, actually, Ava Benasaki, um, or you can send me an email, ava at cpicapital.ca, uh, super easy to get a hold of. Jump on our website, yeah. cpicapital.ca, uh, like Ava mentioned, we're very active on uh, LinkedIn, we have a YouTube show, but uh, yeah, just uh, get in touch with us. Yeah, our YouTube show is Canadian Passive Investing Academy, and we bring on all kinds of expert guest speakers. So like Glenn so, Sutherland. Like Glenn Sutherland was on there. <laughs> yeah, I've been on there, I thought it was a few months ago, I think. Yeah. Anyway, my timelines aren't good anyway, <laughs> but I think it was a couple months ago. Anyway, thank, thanks so much for coming on the show. I, I think it was some great value for people um, and uh, some takeaways. Uh, I love it. Um, thanks again. Thanks, Glenn. We really look up to you and thank you so much for having us on the show.